The first 30 <laughs> seconds you said every town around us, including our city. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, need, we need a big sign, like an on-air on sign. Air. Yeah. yeah. On-air. Click. <laughs> On air. You know, yeah. I just turn it on and off throughout the whole episode, right? Uh, I've right. been sure you would. <laughs> I'd be fucking having a seizure or something. We, we, can, have fix to put, we can fix that. We'd have yeah. to put that warning label, like, the following can cause seizures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I think we need a warning label about the idiocy. From the host, yes, yes. we do. Yeah, well, you know. Producer's great. Sure, Guests are great. Debatable. This is so red team. <laughs> I'm a producer. I'm a host. No, you damn fireman. <laughs> Y'all on the red team, man. Let me tell you about the awesome nap I had at work yesterday. Yeah, Let's I, hear about yours. Uh, tell me about it. I was up all night on the phone. Oh, fabulous. Maybe I should have taken that job. Yep. Twenty well, years later, I'm like, man, I think I made a mistake. Yeah. 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 You know, the, the perk uh, of our job too is less paperwork. Oh, yeah, no doubt. No, what what, Whoa, what job are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. you know, the perk of it's, my job. In yeah. 17 years, you know how many reports he's done? Yeah. Three. Yeah. <laughs> and they were all wrong. <laughs> Scrapped and start over. Well, he's lucky he's got a buddy that knows how to do reports. I did three in an hour last night. Hey, those are rookie Congratulations. Numbers, you got to put like those three in an hour. <laughs> need to transfer. <laughs> yeah. All right. Welcome to the Washdown Podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, Jeremy Green, with me, co-host Chris Nelson, and James Moran is our producer, and today we are talking to Doug Niemeyer, and Doug, you've been a police officer for how long now? 25 years. 25 years, all the way up to the rank of major. Correct. That is, I mean, that's a lot. Some might (laughs) say highly (laughs) overpromoted. I don't know you that well, but I don't think so. Yep, 25 years, um, and it seems like yesterday, to be honest with you, that I got that I got started. And wasn't really the career path that I was was on, but this is where I've ended up. And you know, looking back, looking back today, uh, a lot of people, a lot of people that came into uh, our department when I did are retiring now, and everybody keeps asking when are you going to retire, and I'm like, I don't. I don't see it on the horizon yet. Having too much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I just think it, you finally get to a point in your career where you can, you can kind of give back to people, uh, an opportunity of all the stuff that I've seen, learned, been taught by people before me. Um, you know, the world's changed so much in those 25 years. Uh, when I first came on, me and my partner had one radio between the two of us, one walkie talkie. That was it. Um, that seems a little crappy. <laughs> uh, but, but you didn't know any different. Yeah. You didn't know any different. Um, you came on, and I remember I, I got a radio, and my FTO didn't even have one because uh, there wasn't enough radios to go around. So, And now you get in a, in a car, and it looks like a spaceship. You know, there's computers. There's microphones. There's in-car camera. There's We all now have body cams. I mean, it's a, just a total – I mean, it's 25 years of change, but one thing that – one thing that goes back when you've been on for 25 years, you got life experience. Absolutely. So. Can't argue that with that. Yeah. Well, and it's like the conversation that we had the other day. He made the comment of, you know, I never thought I would be the old guy on the crew. And we're at that point in our careers, 17 years in, we look around and it's like, okay, well. 
altogether, <laughs> the rest of the crew doesn't even have as much time on as we do. So, yeah. I, I mean, it happens from time to time when yeah. we're getting detailed or something or work overtime somewhere. Yeah. It's well, and it's, it's like what you said. It's We're at that point now where we can start to give back and, you know, the lessons that we've learned, pass those on. Right. And it's at, at the station I work, I have 171 employees. And, you know, as I tell my command staff or I tell – supervisors, the people that are coming on the job are my kid's age. Uh, you know, my oldest daughter's going to be 23. She could, she could work here. Um, so you look at it and you're like, I don't feel that way. Uh, I may act that way. I, I'm not, maybe I don't <laughs> act that way. Um, but you know, you, you, it, it just, it's gone by very fast for me. Yeah. Uh, so it, let me ask you a question. What do you do? Cause you're in that command leadership position. How do you connect with that younger generation of officers coming in? You know, I, I, I'm very upfront. I'm, I'm probably very visible too. Uh, I'm a morning person. Uh, I'm not a morning person, but I get up early. Maybe that's cause I'm old too. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. Can't, can't sleep. Yeah, I can't sleep anymore. <laughs> the body hurts. No, I gotta get out of bed. So I'm, I'm usually up by a little after five in the morning. So I get to my station when my dog watch crew is leaving. So I see all the guys that worked overnight. And then I see all the people that are on the day shift. And then I'm usually there when the afternoons are coming in. So I'm, I'm, I'm around a lot. Um, that's just, that comes from all the past jobs I've ever had. Uh, you know, a guy that trained me to be a detective told me back in, here we go, we're going to age myself again. You know you have a good job when you work crappy hours and you have a pager. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, but that means you have a good job because you worked bad hours and you were on call. And I think we need to explain what a pager is to. I know what a pager is, assholes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he Googled it. <laughs> so you know, nowadays, a lot of the things that the, the employees that work for me are the things that I've actually learned some of the stuff from my kids. The social media, like you know, there wasn't such thing as a podcast back then or 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 the things that the way we get information out so fast um so i guess having as i talk to my command staff i I talk to them like if you're if you're a good parent you'd probably be a good mentor or a good um leader of people that are young um because a lot of the things that you go through at home you go through at work uh so really you guys talked about it at your station you know just look at it in the course of life you know when you're young you're running around you're doing things you're invincible then you have kids and your life kind of changes and then as your kids get older and you're doing they're doing activities and then they become young adults now you're you're still parenting them but but they're young adults um you know i was on the I was on the phone last night with my oldest daughter for probably 45 minutes and she was just asking me questions dad what about this dad and, and you're still parenting, so when you go to work, it's almost, I call it adult parenting. Um, but, you know, in a, in a different environment. If you're, if you're at work, you're a mentor, or, 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 or if you're at home, you're dad. Yeah. So that's kind of how I look at it, and that's how I explain it to myself anyway. Something that really stuck out for me, and I think really is a hallmark of my generation, as much as, you know, we can joke about it, is that it's not, you're not a boss. You're not a supervisor. You're a leader and a mentor, and you look at it as such. 
And, you know, a lot of our, our generation always says like, you know, well, they didn't do it. So why are we going to listen to them? But, you, you know, you do have that pedigree, you have that history and you embrace that role as, you know, like a mentor to share your experience and, and lead your employees beneath you with that. And that's, that really speaks volumes. I know. And I, I can only imagine the reputation you have amongst your employees. Ah, well, I, I appreciate that. It's not, it's not always, it's not always fun to be in, in, in the, in a command position or a leadership position, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, due to the fact that, you know, as I was coming up, I never dreamed I'd be in the position I'm in. Like I said, I jokingly say it all the time. You know, I might be the highly, most highly overpromoted person. But on the other hand, um, when those opportunities presented themselves, if someone opens a door for you, that's all they're going to do, open a door. It's what you do with that opportunity. And I try to instill that in my command staff, I try to instill that in kids and things like that. But I, I, I think what you were saying, um, you know, about being a leader and uh, it's changed too, you know. Back in the day, it wasn't no, don't ask no questions. You just did what you were told. Um, that's how I grew up. <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah, you know, same that, here. <laughs> yeah, you didn't grow up asking questions. You did. Um, and nowadays, it's just different. And you gotta, you gotta adapt to that. I mean, we all need to adapt to that. And when you don't, you're gonna get left behind. And I think that's probably the biggest difference from whenever I came on to, to now is. Um, I give you an example. I had an officer come to me with a great idea. I could have took the idea and made it mine, but I didn't. I took him. I, I got a meeting set up for him, and, and he's went on. He, he's actually, hopefully, someday going to be in charge of all the social media for, for us. Um, but if I wouldn't have listened to him or I would have just stole his idea, where would he he'd just be out here still running calls? And, and that's, not, that's not who I am or that's not what I want us as a, as a blue team to be about. Yeah, you want to see your officer succeed in something he was passionate about and probably not make a better officer out of him too. Yeah, and, and, and you guys, whenever the, the other part about being leadership is is when things are great, it's I, I remember the years I spent in homicide, it was <clears throat> Niemeyer squad solved that, but when things didn't go right, <laughs> Niemeyer squad <laughs> didn't. Mm-hmm. And I used to tell them, yeah. that all has to do with the detectives that worked for me too, right? They... Uh, your success lies on their their work ethic and their and how they handle themselves your but my name would be attached to it gotcha. so that's the same way now the farther up you go uh it's a lot I, like an offensive line like an offensive line has a great game you're like oh my god the quarterback and the running back were fantastic yes but when they don't they're like that offensive line god damn you know it's just yeah and then you know both my both my daughters uh played uh, high level softball well my oldest daughter played at a Division II school, and my youngest daughter's uh, playing college softball now. And they're both pitchers. And, you know, softball is based around a lot of pitching, and if you throw hard. And it's the same way. I always tell when they have pitching lessons. I just gave two pitching lessons last night. And uh, <laughs> I told the pitcher, I said, you know, here's the problem. And, I, and they always have a catcher with them, right? And I'm like, listen, thank you. You're never going to get thanked. You're the catcher. I said, when the game's over, it's going to be, hey, you pitched a great game, good job, all these things. I go, you're going to get nothing. That's just that's just how it is. And I want you to know that that pitcher's ability to get a strike call here or a strike call there is because of you, but they're going to get the credit. And you need to know that you're important. So we always go back to our catchers, and my daughters have always done that, because win or lose, 
who's it on? The pitcher. Yeah. She pitched a great game. They won. But if they lose, it was they lost two to one, but they didn't say that the left fielder made an overthrow and an error and this and that. They go, well, you know, Brooke gave up a home run. We lost. No. So it's on the pitcher's back, win or lose. Sometimes everybody else doesn't get the credit. And it's kind of that way when you're in a leadership role and things. It's, you know, just like for you guys, I'm sure it's your uh, leadership gets the, oh, that's such and such a shift. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So there are names attached. There are names attached to it, right? Yeah. So let's kind of go back. What made you, like, how did you get into being a police officer? What was the drive to to do that? Fire Academy <laughs> fail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Fire Academy fail. That's kind of, no, I never made it there. You guys were too slow. Couldn't get, couldn't get me. Um, you know, I, and I'll even back up a little farther from that, you know, because uh, this plays into a lot of things. I know my brother's been here and talked to you guys and, you know, it goes all the way back to when we were kids. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't know when my parents moved to Kansas City, they lived off Independence Avenue in Hardesty, actually. Third House North Independence Avenue in Hardesty. And uh, then I was born and my parents moved out to Ruskin. And then eventually it was it cost too much to, like, drive to work for my dad. He worked down off Front Street in the trucking business. And we moved to the little neighborhood next to World's Fun. So... That's where we kind of end up and grew up, but my family, my parents come from families of eight and nine. So my, my dad has eight siblings, my, my mom has nine. And uh, from farm, like Brookfield, uh, Wien area, mm-hmm. which is up northeast Missouri. So we come from a background of people who work hard for a little bit of nothing. And my dad was, was working, and, and I'll never forget, you know, he made, he made a hundred... I think my, if I remember, I was like $127 a week, and that took care of a family of four. And there'd be times he was he was in the union, and there'd be times he'd be on strike and things like this. But we didn't know any we didn't we didn't know any better. Um, and we grew up just a normal normal kid, but you always worked hard. Um, so when it got time to graduate from high school, it was kind of like uh, you're either going to the military or you got to figure something out. And I was lucky enough to – I played baseball. My parents were very supportive of athletics, and uh, I went and played college baseball. Uh, I still didn't know what I was going to do. Nobody (laughs) in my family had ever been to college. I was like, I'm just going to go play baseball. So they're like, you have to pick a major. I'm like, okay, give me me some choices. Yeah, I'm like, give me some choices. So I just looked on there, and I was like, well, criminal justice, because my next-door neighbor had been a policeman. So that's what I picked. And, uh, you know, I got out of college. I got married very young. Uh, I was 20, 23 when I got married. And uh, I applied for the police department, applied for the fire department on the exact same day, went downtown and applied. Uh, It took almost a year and a half, and the police department called, and I got through all the testing, and they hired me. And... um, (laughs) I was in the academy for six weeks, and the fire department calls, and they're like, hey, we have an opening at the fire academy, blah, blah. And I said, um, no, I'm, I'm in the police academy. And they're like, no, just go ahead and quit. <laughs> <laughs> I go, no, no, I'm not going to do that. We tried and, to help you. We tried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's been me against the red team for many years. Uh, uh, and, you know, at the time, my brother was already on the independence. Or, or he, was, he was already working as a fireman. And uh, so uh, – you know, I had I would have had the chance to be on the department before him, 
and uh, and I didn't, and 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 I think I made the right choice for me. You know, I really do. I think I made the right choice for me. Uh, I'm a firm believer that everybody has a position in this world because sometimes you hear people say, "I why would you do that?" And I'm like, "Well, why do you do that?" I think there's a spot for everybody. You just got to find it. And some people never find that spot. Um, you know, as I tell my brother all the time, I mean, you guys, you guys have saved the concrete industry. I mean, you guys save them basements every time. I mean, it's fabulous, you know? So no, I, sorry about that. That's just, that's just me and him, right? Going back yeah, and forth all the time. Fine. And trust me, I, I take, I take it well too. So, uh, but, but that, that's what happened. And I got in the police academy and I, and it goes back to the same thing. And that's kind of where I sit today is that's the people who gave me my first opportunity. And you didn't, when we grew up, you didn't, you didn't quit because you didn't like something. You didn't quit because it was hard. You didn't, you didn't quit. You, you made it a commitment and these people gave me an opportunity and I wasn't going to quit and, uh, went through the police academy and, and, uh, was assigned to a patrol division station and worked there. And I, I, always knew I wanted to be a, at that point I was kind of was wanted to be a detective, became a detective, um, did that for a few years. Um, uh, had, a, had my first daughter was born and then, uh, became a supervisor. So you go back out and work in patrol. Uh, the opportunity came up and the job opening came up as a supervisor in homicide and, and I'd worked there already as a detective and that's where I really wanted to go. And, and I got it. And, that's probably the foundation for my entire career is that investigations. And, and I spent like, um, almost 10 years, almost 10 years in the homicide unit. Uh, and, and we can come back to that in a little while. Cause that's when kind of things in my life was, I thought were fantastic and little did I know they were falling <laughs> apart. Um, and I did 10 years there and that's whenever I made the decision. Uh, I wasn't necessarily being the best dad cause my other daughter had been born. Um, they were getting to the point where my oldest was getting ready to, I think she, she was in middle school by then. Uh, my youngest was getting ready to go to middle school. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm spending four or 500 hours of overtime every year at work. And it was of all hours. You know, you get called all hours of the day and night. And I was like, I got to be a better dad. Um, so... Uh, I worked on that at that point, um, and then got myself out of homicide and, and went on to work undercover for about five years and then got hurt on the job and, and, uh, took the, decided to take the commander's, uh, test and, and, and passed the darn thing. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I was like, okay. Uh, and then, and then lo and behold, a few years later I got promoted again. So, you know, that, but that, that, that time that I was in homicide is probably what shaped the outcome of my life, uh, for the good and the bad. Right. Um, those, and that's what I'll probably kind of focus on is when I got there, it, there was no better job on our, our department, in my opinion. Um, and we ran and ran and ran all the time. Uh, we would catch a case. We would stay at work for 24 or 48. I didn't matter. We were going to stay until we, we solved it. And I had great people working for me. Um, I was younger back then. And, uh, I always said, you know, if you want to be the best homicide person, you, you gotta not be outworked. It goes right back to the same thing, how I grew up. Uh, 
You know, if you can work, if you can stand on your two feet, then you need to be at work working. And I did that for a long time and we were, and I felt like we were good. Um, we might not have been the smartest group of guys and gals, uh, but I always said, don't let anybody else outwork us. And, and that's kind of what we put our, put our stuff on is, is, is our work ethic. And I paid dividends and I, I'll tell you, you know, the first, the first, and, and, and my two girls were growing up and, and the event that, uh, you know, changed everything is when my brother's daughter passed away because my girls were little, um, you know, my youngest was four and my oldest was eight years old when that happened. And like the whole world got turned upside down. Uh, but being the guy that was working in homicide, right? You're just like, well, I, I got to handle this, um, and help him and get him through this. And my folks, you know, uh, you talk about some salt of the earth people, just, they've always been there for us. So, when that happened, um, it changed us all. And I was like, ah, I got to be a better dad. So I worked there another year or so. Um, and, what, and, what, and people say, what do, you, what do you mean by be a better dad? Well, you need to make sure you're, you're at every event, which I was, but I might go and then leave. Or are you there to put them on the bus, be, it, be there whenever it's time to throw the softball around? Uh, or are you even All there? Those things. You know, you may be there physically, but are you even there mentally? Right. There, and I thank you. Yeah, that's kind of the whole thing right there. And and so that was the first time I ever did. Uh, I do it all the time now, but uh, the guy that just called me a little while ago, he's the one that told me, he's like, you need to, we all need to take a look in the mirror about once a week and just self-reflect and go, are you, are you okay? Are you doing all right? Because we find ourselves just boom, 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 boom through life. Mm-hmm. And we don't think about ourselves. We don't check on ourselves. We take a, take care of everybody else, um, take care of everybody else's situations, everybody else's problems. And we never self reflect. And that was the first time I can ever remember. And I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I just knew that I wanted a better relationship with my daughters. So <laughs> I, uh, got my old insurance card out. I didn't tell anybody. And I called that, uh, employee assistance program and I, I dial them up and I, they answer the phone. I said who I was. And I said, uh, I want to be, a, I said, I want to be a better dad. And they're like, okay, come see us. And I show up. And of course, instead of sitting down and listening, I go, okay, I get six free sessions. I need <laughs> you to get this, this, this. <laughs> um, and this is all I need help with. If you can just give me some pointers, we'll be good. I'll get out of here. We'll, I'll be on my way. Yeah. I'll never forget the lady looking, and she goes, do you want help, or you got it all figured out? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> 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 so uh, I had to take a big, deep breath and go, hey, you're the one that recognizes the problem, gets, you know, deal with it. And – the the funny thing is, I got done in my before my six sessions, uh, but I had to I had to stop for a minute and self reflect and and needless to say, a couple years later uh, or a year and a half later or so, I can't remember the exact time, but uh, I got out of homicide and and took this undercover job uh, because we went in super early in the morning, and uh, I would get off every day and I'd be home when my daughters got off the bus, yeah, and I was, I was there every day. 
I was so. wondering how going from homicide to undercover would relieve stress in that way because I would think undercover would be all hours just uh the, I I took a I took a job I was in interdiction um okay. so you worked the real early in the morning time like we'd be there super early and and, and then you're off at like one thirty in the afternoon and uh you're working those hours because that's when people move a lot of drugs big drugs Ooh. and uh so it fit perfect it just fell into place and uh that was a really good I, I had a really good experience there in narcotics and uh that's when I really built that relationship with my daughters, uh, which come into play later on. Um, you know, uh, not, not, not that, I mean, I don't have a world's greatest dad hat or nothing, you know, I mean, I've made my mistakes, <laughs> uh, and they'll tell you they're, you know, my kids will tell you, uh, they're not afraid to speak up, but they, you know, moving forwards, uh, out of that, I, I was, uh, like I told you, I got married really young and, and then that day came and, uh, I ended up getting divorced and, you know, my youngest daughter was, I think she was, yeah, she was a freshman in high school and, and my oldest daughter was in college and, uh, it was, I mean, it was, it was pretty devastating. Uh, it was devastating for them. It was, is is I never thought after being married that long, you know, that, that that day would come and it did. And, you know, looking back, you just like, then you then you go through that again, right? Did I fail? Have I have I failed? Did did what what could I have done? And and there's plenty of things I could have done better. Um, you know, I, I I was I was angry. I was I was a lot of things when that happened, but I knew it. I knew it needed to happen without going into it. Um, so I got divorced, and and you know there's some some words exchanged over the next year, <laughs> uh, back and forth. Um, but one of the things that came out of that for me is is a bit of peace because, uh, you know, you, you got to start life over a little bit, right? And and I was living in an apartment, and and uh, my youngest daughter was living with me. And now I figured out a whole new set of problems. I was like, I'm a single dad raising a teenage daughter. What are you full, doing? Full time. <laughs> and I was working the dog watch shift. Because I'd been promoted and I was on dog watch, so that's, and then you're like, "What the?" You know, you but but we made it right, and and in the midst of all that, I had made up my mind uh, that I was going to wait to buy a place that was mine, and I wanted a piece of land. And you guys know how hard it is to find a piece of land in Kansas City, um, and just by fate, I had been living. It was the first Christmas uh, after having been divorced, and it was the first Christmas, and my oldest daughter was in Hawaii. Her, one of her college roommates from softball lives in Hawaii, and she went there, and my youngest daughter was going out of town and flying out of town for Christmas. And so I took her to the airport. My other daughter's not here. She's flying that night, and I got Christmas by myself, and I'm like, man, this is empty. And Christmas is like my holiday. I love it. And it was just so empty. And uh, one of the guys that works for me, he'll, he, he's worked for me for a long time. Now, he's going to tell you. <laughs> now, if you ever run into him, he's going to tell you we're partners. We are not partners. <laughs> he's been my employee for a long time. But he's that kind of guy that checks on you. 
he checks on you and he's like, I know you're sitting over there by yourself. You're not doing that. Get over here. And I went over there to, to his house and, and when I got there, it turns out his wife's like, Hey, you still looking for land? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And he's like, she's like, I think my, my mom might be looking to sell this. I don't know for sure. And I immediately left their house, drove to where it was. I walked on it and I said, I will be living here by next Christmas period. I didn't know how, I didn't know how I was going to get it done. I didn't even know if they wanted to sell the land. Um, but lo and behold, three and a half months later, I got the land. Four months later, as in April of the next year, I got the land bought. And through a whole hell of a lot of work, uh, I moved in on December the 21st the next year. Nice. Yeah. So now uh, I live on that acreage, and I will tell you it is, uh, it is a place that myself, my brother, because uh, he lives on my property too, yeah, uh, I was about to make a comment, but I'm just going to hold it. <laughs> ah, go for it. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's got a humongous porch. It overlooks a pond. I'm just going to tell you, whenever I get off work and dealing with the things that I deal with uh, now, I, I, I sit on that front porch, look around. There's deer. There's turkey. There's wildlife. There's dips. <laughs> there's fishing um you missed your dibs when yeah. you were late yeah uh there's 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 fishing there's but but one thing that i've also found that is not only bring me peace sitting there uh there's a lot of policemen that i've br- brought there and you can sit on the porch and just you know what's said there is said there and and and, and you have an opportunity to just talk um i know my brother he him and i sit on that front porch and he's like man this is what we ran last night or did last night. And I'll be like, well, you know, it's not one up in each other, but it's just getting things out yeah. and talking about all the crap. You know, I, I think I told you guys earlier when I was in homicide, I was in charge of 1,367 death investigations. Uh, that's just the time that I was in homicide. You yeah. know, that was murders, suicides, regular. So how body. do you, how do you make that transition from, being at work, investigating that stuff, seeing like, that's the worst, you yeah. know, and then go home and be a dad. I wasn't you know? very good at it, <laughs> but you became, you know, you were able to flip that switch, you know, later on. So how were you able to do that? Right. I, you know, um, I wish I could tell you whenever it just hit me. And, and, and like I said, I think I did say is when Shayla passed away yeah. that you're like, Hey, the world's not, the world's not just going to keep, it can change in a heartbeat. We see it every day, but when it hits you, it's a whole different thing. Yeah. I would go to work and I would work homicides or, or death investigations or have my employees doing that. And, and it was work, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and we looked at it that way because you couldn't get emotionally involved. If you got emotionally involved in all that, I mean, you'd be a puddle of nothing all the time. But you knew, and I still do to this day, I still have families from back then call me every time on the anniversary of one of their people's death, you know, whether it was their son or their family member, my phone rings because I've had the same phone. And they'll call me like, hey, and I'm like, hey, you know, so I relive it all the time. Um, But you just learned to cope with that because you're the last person in those death investigations 
that they feel a connection to. But you were asking, how did I turn the switch on and off? And, and I think the switch that turned on for me was when Shayla passed. And you know that not every day is guaranteed. And I'm like, I'm going to get every second I can with my kids. So that's when I self-reflected for the first time. Uh, I do it often now. I need to do it every, about every hour now. I'm, uh, you know, I hadn't been to the doctor in a long time. and a long time. Hadn't been to the doctor. And it was about a year ago. My girls, my daughters were like, Dad, you need to go to the doctor. Like, I'm like, well, they're going to find something wrong. It's like, you, you know, if, you, if the yeah. engine light comes on your car, it doesn't mean it doesn't drive, right? You yeah. just kind of drive it until it doesn't drive no more. But So I went to the doctor, and for the first time in a long time, of course, you know, she's like, well, you should. You really shouldn't drink, and you really you shouldn't chew tobacco, and you really you shouldn't go out. And you, re- I'm like, yeah. What, what can I do? I mean, yeah. uh, you know, what can I do? And then she's like, oh, and you got high blood pressure, and I'm like, she and and I didn't. I don't really say what I do, right? I don't tell. So I kind of told her what I did for a living, and and she's like, well, you you have 171 people that you're in charge of that basically have, you know. I'm like, yeah. She goes, that's why you have high blood pressure. And I'm like, so what do I need to do to get rid of it? She goes, retire. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's not an option. Um, so all these years I handled things, right, and I did things, and it wasn't until I got in a position of what? Leadership to the point where I always say, I tell my entire station, I'm responsible for you and in charge of none of you. And they always look at you like, what do you mean? I'm like, when I was a supervisor, I had eight people or ten people or whatever, and I was there. I was in it. Just I was in it all the time. Now that place runs 24-7. I'm not there 24-7, but I'm responsible for all of you, not just while you're at work, but I'm responsible for you when you're not at work. So it's that kind of stress. The stress now is different right. now than it was back in 2003 whenever you're working homicides. So, and I know I jump around a lot because my brain runs faster than my mouth, believe it or not. So, <laughs> you guys got to kind of keep me on track sometimes. Hey, man. No, it's, we work, just, it's working pretty well. Yeah. All right. So now, we just kind of let it go where it goes. Stress. So, as you get, you go up in the ranks, your stress level changes. It's different. Then, <clears throat> I mean, but the way you've dealt with it hasn't changed at all, how you cope. I mean, you got, you've had to learn something over the years. I mean, EAP helped a little bit, and then have you talked to anybody else? You know, I that's the only time I ever went and got "quote unquote" professional help. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of EAP. I'll be honest. What's that? <laughs> I wasn't a fan of the EAP. Yeah, no, so, I, and, it, me though. Yeah, it, it worked for me. Um, it worked for me because I was very specific on what I needed help with. Not that I don't need help with other things, but I will tell you, having a brother that's on the red team helps me a lot because I can. Pick, go over and bang on the door and be like, uh, we need to sit on the porch. I got to get, I got to talk. Um, and he can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't do the same job. So it's not like if he was on the blue team with me and we're just, then it becomes rah, 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 back and forth. And it's not because, I mean, I know what you guys do, or I think I know what you guys do. Um, and you guys think you know what I do probably, but there's not that intimacy of knowing how the organization runs mm-hmm. and the other things that go on. So we're I right, really the same calls together, right? You know, and we kind of see some of the same things. We have a lot of overlap, but there's a lot that doesn't overlap. 
that we, we can't really understand on your side and vice versa. Right. You guys always get on a truck and drive away, and we're still there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did our part. Yeah. 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 You guys good? No. All right. See you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. But, you know, I. how do you cope, you know? I mean, I, I always look at it. And say there, there's a lot of there's a lot of outlets, right? A lot of people take bad outlets. Um, a lot of people end up ruining their careers over stress. So, mine mine's always been I've been an avid bow hunter since I was a kid, and I've had to change now that I've gotten older. But every year I saved all of my vacation <laughs> until <laughs> bow season. Do that. Yeah. And I literally would take three weeks off to go bow hunting or two weeks off or as much time as I could get. And I always looked at that as that was that time for me to completely get away and recharge. And that's what I did. Every single year, you, you couldn't find me from about – I'd always stay. I'd take the kids trick-or-treating on Halloween – and literally, if I could get out of town that night, I'd get out. If not, it was the next morning, and I was gone. And that was my way. And it was like you completely reset yourself after 11 months of working hard. You would reset for that because you would where, – where our farm is, there's really no cell phone service. It's amazing. It's off the grid, you know. There's yeah. no – it's not off the grid, but it's it's – there's no cell phone service. But you can really reset. Yeah, you, you can, can really reset. My best friend in the whole wide world I met when I played college baseball, he's a superintendent of schools up there. He uh, he literally is 15 minutes from where my farm's at. So I get to spend time with him. Uh, not that we don't spend time together other times, but, I mean, some real time of hunting and just sitting around a campfire and telling stories. But you got that whole reset, and then I can make it another 11 months. Now I'll tell you, I've gotten older. <laughs> you got you, you can't reset once a year. Uh, you know, I've learned that you got to take – that's why they give you so many weeks. Of take one in the first quarter, take one in the middle, take one in the third quarter, take one in the last. When you say you've gotten older, would you say your cups become more full? In what in what way? Of just experiences, negative, positive, just there, there is more on your plate that you need to take a break from? Uh, I think it's – well, we talked about it. I think it's a different stress, right? Um, and and – and my personality is I want to be able to be there and keep it under control or at least have a say in it or things in, in the things, the position I'm in now. I don't necessarily have that, right? So I've had to learn other ways. I trust everybody who works for me. I trust my command staff. I trust my supervisors, all of that. They t- and, in fact, it's, it's reciprocal. They take really good care of me. Um, it's a reciprocal thing whenever you set the tone. And then let them go. You have to trust them. And there's times that people get out of line, right? And then you got to you got to fix that. It's the hardest part of leadership is whenever somebody does something wrong, and you got to reprimand them for it. It's just like reprimanding your kids. It doesn't feel good to do that, but it's a different kind of stress, a different kind of way. Um, the higher up you go, but I think I manage it. I think I manage it pretty well. I mean, to the point of I know. When I'm like, okay, you need a break. You just need it. Maybe it's just a weekend. Maybe I just need to go to the farm for the weekend. Because what you guys see, I always tell people, what you see with these eyes don't, don't ever go away. You can't unsee things. 
You can't unhear things. Um, you can't unsmell things. Uh, yeah. yeah. So That's, smells you never forget. Right? I always tell people, you know, that when you, you always get this, I know you guys get it too. What's the worst thing you've ever seen? Yeah. And I won't answer that anymore. I, I don't answer it. I used to when I was younger. I didn't understand. But I always tell people, I wish my brain could forget what my eyes have seen. That's one of the best things I've ever heard. I, it, I, I believe it. Yeah. People, I mean, and then, and people don't, they're not trying to be rude, right? They, they think what you no. do is yeah. awesome. Yeah. I don't fault them for it. Yeah. yeah. And, but like, you know, this past year, uh, I'll just example, one of, one of my officers that works for me, he's, he's a great kid. He's the one that got shot. Um, they gave him a 1% chance to live and he did. And he comes to work every day. I just saw him this morning. I mean, he's not back on the street, but he comes to work every day, right? We didn't sign up. We didn't sign up going, hey, this is what's going to happen, and you're in charge of all of them. So that's a different kind of stress. Um, but, what I've, but what I've learned through that is perseverance, watching this kid come back, all the things. And his attitude is, hey, I'm, I'm glad it happened to me because look what, look what happened. I can share my story and be inspirational to other people and say, you can survive. And there's so many times that people in our line of business don't find that person to latch on to or find that right outlet, and they go down a bad path, and then the next thing you know, a really great career is not where that career should be, or it takes a detour for a while until somebody, you know, snatches onto them and says, hey, man, get back over here. And and, and like I said early uh I'm pretty lucky. My my dad's a pretty hard nosed guy. Like he's tough. Um, and my mom's been there for us. I mean, look, hell, they've been through. They have a son that's on the blue team. <laughs> they have a son who's on the red team. They have lost a granddaughter. Both their sons have been through a divorce. Uh, they treat my daughters, my dad especially. He's got two granddaughters. Like. You know, he'll move heaven and earth for them, and I'm usually like, "Hey, you used to beat my ass." <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what grandparents yeah. do. Yep. Yeah, but you know, they're, they. But I always go back. They're they're salt of the earth people, right? They came from nothing. They had nothing, and and but they taught us hard work and how to how to fight through and and persevere. And they're still there to this day. You know, my dad will be up there at my place with a. He's 71 years old. He'd be up there, and I'd be like, what are you doing? Well, it looked like that tree needed to be sawed down. I'm like, chainsawing <laughs> trees down, or he's doing, he's on the tractor, or he's doing whatever. So I think a lot of that comes from, from them and early on. I mean, what you learn as a kid really sticks with you, whether you want to or not. That's why we talk about kids today that we see. You know, I see kids at work, and I just want to just want to take them and, and be like, help them um, because it really is – what they learn from that young age through through middle school and on that is going to be who they are a lot of their life, and you're going to reflect back on that. I do I do the same thing. I mean, we were by no means we were not privileged kids, and I don't know what privilege means to other people, but we also didn't know we were poor. So, yeah. well, and I think that that's so true. Is how you were raised is kind of an indicator most of the time. I mean, you could look at my own family or whatever to see the opposite of that but the values that are instilled by your parents into you is kind of an indicator of where you're going to be you know as an adult and the people that you meet and interact with along the way 
you know, reinforce those values or take you down a different path or whatever. Absolutely. And like I said, it's, they, they've hung in there the whole way. So, um, it's not like I go, you know, sit down with mom and dad and go, Hey, here's my stuff. Cause they don't need to hear, they don't need to hear all the ins and outs of what we do at work. Um, they like to every once in a while, but you know, it's not, it's not good whenever, uh, I tell my grandpa, he'll ask me and then like halfway through, you can tell he's like, I regret this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, cause, uh, getting back to something, you know, I, and I move around, I, I, we talked about stress and talk about my parents. We talk about all these things. But I'll, I, I kind of have used this line over the last year. What most people in this world find heroic, we all find horrific. And I talked to that about my, to my officers, and I'm like, look, people are going to be this, and you're going to be like, I don't want to talk about it. But you got to find someone to talk about it because what they're trying to lift you up on is what you're like, I don't want to have nothing to do with. And if, if that's a line that sticks with anybody at my, my station, you know, I want them to know, hey, the things that sometimes we do is no one else in this world could do. That's why you were there. Yeah. I was watching a, a documentary about Medal of Honor recipients, and that was kind of the theme throughout. They're like, they give me this medal. It was the worst day of my life. Right. I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want this thing. I'm on, the only reason that I'm accepting it is because of the sacrifices that, you know, the guys I was with made or, you know, <laughs> it's like, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you should say that. And after, after my divorce and my daughter was living with me and, you know, we hell there's days that we just didn't want to be in an apartment. Right. So, uh, when I got transferred one day, I had to pack up all my stuff at work and move to another place. And, we we moved into this office. I moved all my stuff into this office, and she's like, "What is this stuff, Dad? What is all this?" I'm like, "Yeah, just stuff. Stuff I've acquired over the years." But it was every award I've gotten on the police department, every outside. I mean, you know, you just accumulate things over the years because you're doing your job, but you get accolades for it. And my daughter's, I. Cause I never once put anything up in my house and I always kept it in boxes at work. And she's like, dad, you need to put this stuff up. I'm like, well, you put it up. I'm not, I'm not putting it up. And she did. She decorated my whole office with all this stuff. And, and, uh, what I learned something from that, uh, that means something to her. Whereas like you just said, you look at it and it reminds you of, I remember that day. Yeah. You know, I early on in my career, I had my first uh, real near-death experience. Um, January the 1st or December the 30, 31st, whatever you want to call it. It was, it was January the 1st. It was about 2.30 in the morning. And we got behind a car, me and my partner, and this guy was just rocketing, uh, bouncing his truck, kind of hill jumping this and that. And, and, and he, he didn't even know we were there twist turn this that next thing you know we're in the back of a house and all i knew was i-70 was close to me and the fight was on and we were fighting over my gun and i know i know it doesn't look like it today but when i came out of the police department i only weighed 167 pounds (laughs) soaking wet um but that night changed my life 
in a different kind of way, and that was in 1997. Uh, I thought I was going to die. You know, it was a fight fight over my gun, and I didn't know exactly where I was at because the fight was on, and they're calling you, where are you? And I'm like, get me some help. And uh, luckily, luckily it, it turned out, right? Um, I, di- I didn't have to use lethal force or anything, but it, we were there. Um, but what it did was change who I was because I'd been a college athlete for all these years trying to lift weights, gain weight, and all that. You have a near-life-death experience, and three months later, I weighed 205 pounds. <laughs> so in a matter of three months, I put on 35 pounds. And it wasn't – I mean, I got in the weight room, and it, it, those kinds of things that happen to you in your life change you. And a lot of times you'll walk around, and, and I always say this, there's two me's. There's two Doug Niemeyers. There's work Doug Niemeyer, and there's not. And they really are kind of two different guys because when you go to work, you got to be on, got to be on point, because um, it's light, it truly is life or death, and you yeah. can't really have an off day, um, at work, because not only is it life or death, but it might be you saving someone else's life, or you're going to be there when it's that person's worst day. So every time you go into someone's home or you get you go on a call, they just had the worst day of their life, and you're always the one that's there. So there's really not an off time. So I've really – that's why I talk about these awards and they mean something to my daughter and this and that. Um, where is it going with that? So she's – you know, she sees all that, whereas I, I really do see it as those were – those were some of the worst things that could have happened, but they turned out good. Yeah. And you do go accept those um, because somebody's like, hey, you did a great job and this and that, but I always kept them in a box up until I figured out from her, she taught me a lesson that day of, that yeah, this is important because we don't know that part of you. So now if I change jobs, I call her and I go, time to pack up the office. It's your turn. <laughs> uh, and she has, she comes and packs up the office, puts it in the box and wherever I end up transferred to next, she sets it all up and I, I never touch it. You know, those awards, it's not just to your daughter, but to the families that, yeah. you know, no matter it, it was your worst day, it was their worst day, but you did what you could, mm-hmm. whether it turned out a good outcome or a bad. I think that even speaks to to why they call you on anniversaries. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt, you know, there's no doubt, and and I take their call every time. I mean, you have to. You know, they don't have anywhere else to turn. So you take that call every single time, and I'll take them until they stop calling. But, you know, there's a couple of mothers that call me on the anniversary of their, their son's murder. Clockwork. Been doing it for – one of them, I've been doing it for 19 years. 19 years, talk to her every year. So, you know, that's a side of, I mean, I'm sure uh, even some of my extended family would probably watch some of this and be like, I had no idea. But yep. just like you guys, you don't, you don't just walk around sharing. But I do share my story of life because it's so complex, complicated. But to me, it's normal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this chaos is normal. Yeah. But a lot of times people will be like, well, Doug just stands in the corner. Well, that – I might just be standing there, but I can guarantee you this is running as fast as 10 people in the room because it's, it's already working overtime all the time. Um, you know, so that's, uh, it's, it's, 
it's a complicated life, but I would have it no other way. And, and I just told someone this week, I go, if I was a younger man, and even if I'm not a younger man, if I had the opportunity to go back and work homicide again now that my kids are grown, start tomorrow. What did – you've referenced it a lot, but I don't think we've really dug into it. What did that do to you, negative or positive, being in homicide? Um, the positive side, I think it, it taught me how to be a leader. Uh, taught me how to be a leader on this police department because um, you got to make a, a jillion decisions and you got to make them like that. There's not really a lot of time to sit there and you got to make them and they got to be right. You make a decision that's wrong, it may cost you the case, it may, it may cost you a lot of things, right? So it taught me how to be a leader. Uh, on the negative side, and, and I'm not the only one. There's a lot of people that have have been in that unit same amount of time, some even longer. You know, they have the same story I do. Uh, you can't unsee what you've seen. You can't unhear what you've heard. And you can't unsmell what you smell. Those are with you for the rest of your life. It just is. You know, people, I whenever you said that earlier, I mean, it almost brings me to tears every single time because I know the worst day. I know the worst crime scene I ever saw, and I can see it right now. Uh, it'll never go away. So, you know, whenever people ask that, I always, I would like, I kind of avoid that situation. Or sometimes I've done things like, "Do you really want to hear it?" And then yeah, when I tell scare it, scare them a little bit. And then when I tell them, they're like, "Oh, sorry." No, don't be sorry. You want, you wanted to know. I'm, I'm going to tell you. Uh, so you, that's the part that, but I would, but once again, I'll do it all over again. Cause I feel like that's what I was born to do. Otherwise I'd be riding around on some red truck. Having <laughs> <laughs> the time of your life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so Keep it, keeping the concrete people out of work. Yep. Running 2 a.m. topanes. <laughs> <laughs> When, when the cops and that's you. the other thing. It's the cops that call you is the problem. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hey, man. Hey, he's just drunk. <laughs> right. they, got, they got a cut. I'm like, yeah, it's a, it actually, mandate, man. Actually, the <laughs> I amount, ran that call. The amount of chest pains that come out of uh, your division's jail. I was we just about, about to tell you. About that. <laughs> I was about to tell you. Chest pains. Uh, a lot of chest pains. A lot of chest pains. You're but, the only patrol division in the city that can stack up three ambulances at one time. Yeah. <laughs> we also run the only jail. So, uh, yes. Well, we don't run the only one, but we have the busiest one, you know? <laughs> Definitely the busiest one. Yeah, we, well, you know, the busiest zone. We answer the, the zone I work, we are in charge of. We, we answer over 1,500 911 calls a week. Just just my my zone. And, yeah. uh, you know, but one other thing that I, I was going to say, and we just did it, I actually learned how to laugh when I was in homicide. And you're like, what? That's a strange place to learn how to laugh. Because <laughs> if you're not laughing, you're... Crying. Yeah. So, so that's what I learned to do. I, I had to learn how to... We had to learn... And it and it may not always have been the best, but you had to learn how to do like we're doing now sometimes. You got to learn how to banter and, yeah. and, 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 you know, get on to guys. And But you got to be able to take it too, right? Absolutely. You, and you got to be able to go back and forth because... Sometimes it might not be the best time, but that's you. You gotta 
I, I can remember my squad getting in trouble back in the day. You'd be on the news and be like, you guys are on there laughing. I'm like, well, what do you, what do you want me to do? Take them over here and let them all sit there on camera and cry? <laughs> yeah. So you got to Here we have the police department pouting. <laughs> well, yeah, yes. I mean, there has to be, and we've kind of talked about this before, there has to be that decompression coping skill, something. And that seems to be very general throughout the police departments, fire service, military. It just doesn't work kinda, at family dinners. That's the problem. <laughs> that kind of... <laughs> Well, you the, know, the public immediately don't understand why you're at a crime scene or a, a bad car wreck and you're smiling or telling a joke or yeah. Well, it's because it's a good way to distress. Yeah, de stress and which actually leads me into something else. Um, we've talked about it a lot here is compassion fatigue. I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in other guys in the fire department. And not to throw stones, but I've seen it in officers that we run with because you know we run a lot of calls together. You're at the police department, the fire department, and you can see it. So I mean, what do you? How do you coach your young officers when you start seeing something like that or you hear it? You know, that way you, they don't – because, I mean, we all know attitude changes a lot on how a, how a call goes. Whether mm-hmm. it's their attitude or our attitude, it could totally change the, the way that call is handled and what happens. So how do you guys combat that? Well, I just think uh, for, for me and, and looking back, you know, it, it, and that's changed over the years too, right? Mm-hmm. Um there, there's more opportunity, and it's like I said back whenever I the first time I ever asked for EAP, I didn't tell nobody. I didn't tell my spouse at the time. I tell nobody I was going. So what was the? I don't want to interrupt you, but what was the mindset there of not telling anybody? Was it, it back then? You didn't. You just didn't do it. You didn't do it. You yeah. know, there's like, yeah, there's that thing on the back of your insurance card you can call if, and you're like, telling nobody I called. And I, I didn't even tell my spouse at the time I called. I just went and did it under the radar. And there's so many things available now, which I think is fabulous. It should have been done years ago for all first responders. And, I mean, for everybody, uh, you know, you have things like the Warriors Ascent. You have the a, a lot of the military things now have come to first responders that can – and I can't think of the other one that we have right off the top of my head for some reason. Um and then there's other there's there's this year our boss put in place an on or is going to put on an on staff psychologist it's that you huge, can just go to huge that's that's there for you you know and and they gotta understand the police department way of life and what you guys do and because we talked about that too yeah with the um, cultural competency cultural yeah. competency. And it's important. It's important that people know all those things. And and there's so many things readily available now that wasn't 25 years ago. Not even five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so much better than what it was. We're still way behind, but we're getting there. But I will. But I will say this. I feel like once again, uh, we talked about this early on in this conversation. There's there's more. We have peer support Mm -hmm. on our on our department. You know. Um, every time there's a critical incident and, and back then you would just pull guys off the side and go behind the convenience store and be like, everybody all right? You all right? All right? Yeah. All right. Yep. Okay. Everybody's all right. And then away you went. There wasn't nobody all right. You know? And it wasn't until, uh, right when I got out of homicide as a detective and I went back to the field, I'll never forget a, a call, uh, 
where a child got ran over and uh it was bad and the look on those younger officers face was I, I told them i even told them i go everybody close your eyes and just hold the hold the blankets up i got it i i didn't well you know what happened right Hey, everybody looking. Mm-hmm. Everybody, and then I was like, I told y'all to keep your eyes closed. So we went and did that. We, you know, I did that because we did it with each other when I was a detective. And they were like, we, we did do that, but we did it in a different way. We went back there and you let people cry. You let people get their emotions out and talk. And then then you self-evaluate each other and go, you you good or do you need to see somebody? And you know, I can remember that being one of the early on times I did that, and I've still had a couple of them come up and go, I remember when you did that, and we're doing, they were doing that when they became supervisors, and I think that's what we talk about. Why, why don't you just retire, Doug? Well, I think there's still that opportunity to do things now more so in a management position. You're managing people instead of maybe managing the public. We still manage the public a lot. I'm, I'm You know, when I leave here, i got to go talk to – um, some civic leaders uh, back in my zone, but you're more so managing folks on your in your zone mm-hmm. or your division or whatever it may be. And I think this is what I've always wanted to do: is be able to take all my life experience, good, bad, or indifferent, and say, "Here I am. If if you need something, you let me know," because I don't really hand out advice. I don't, you know, um, my my. Well, he was my father-in-law until he passed away. But, you know, he always said, you're looking for affirmation or confirmation. What are you doing? You know, and I'm like, I'm not really for sure. I just asked you the question. I'm kind of looking for opinion. And he's like, here's the reason I don't give you my opinion is because if you don't hear what you've already made up your mind, you're just going to go to him and say, what do you think of this? And then you're going, okay, that's what I thought. So you have to go into things with open minds and 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 when it comes to dealing with things like what we did behind the convenience store, uh, you don't ever want to put that on somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are they looking for? What are you trying to push into them? If that's, I don't know if this is making sense. It's making sense to me. But um, it's just one of those. Yeah, you're not going to tell them how to deal with something. Yeah. But just kind of let them know that there are, there's options. Options. You know, if you need help, you, my door's open, or we can get you this number, or there, this number, and you don't, you know, if you don't want to tell anybody, you don't have to tell anybody, but, I, but there's help there for you. I think for me personally, I don't know how you guys, me personally, my front porch is the best place for me to be, because I find comfort in that, and then I find people that sit down that I, I can talk to. I just pulled up in, in outside here, my phone rang, as one of the supervisors, He's a supervisor. He's two levels below me and called. Hey, I'm, I'm just checking on you. You okay? I go, yeah. Why? Did something wrong? He goes, nope. Just haven't checked on you in about a month. He goes, you're always on the go, boss. You're always at everything. You're da-da-da-da. He goes, I just want to check on you. I'm like, I said, well, that's funny. You should be checking on me because I'm about to walk in and talk about my mental health state and how it is with, <laughs> uh, you know, how my 25 years in this job. And I said, but what are the odds? You know, what are the odds of yeah. – you know, he just called me out of the blue. Well, it's, it's yeah. good that, that that's starting to happen more. Yeah. And I've, I've heard more of it even on our side that's it's been happening more because we didn't have a peer support until we lost two guys in line of duty and the guys FDNY came in. They started theirs after 9-11, and they helped kickstart ours. 
Right. And it's, it's helped. I, I, I know it's, I feel it's probably saved some lives. Good. You know, yeah. on, on our yeah. side. And if you guys are doing the same thing, I'm sure it saved some lives there. Just be able to get it out. Have, have a shoulder to cry on. Have somebody yeah. who actually understands. Well, and to make it okay to talk about it, you know. Yeah. And I think that's great, you know, being the, in a leadership position that you're in of, you know, people are doing that for you. Yeah. So, you know, it's trickling down through. I think the biggest thing that I would want to say is it doesn't matter if you are the number one person in the organization or you're the first day on the job person in the organization of whatever that is and whatever line of work you're a hospital worker you're with the red team the blue team if somebody if you see somebody and they want to talk everything else is secondary everything else stops and you need to, i don't care if it's a brand new guy that comes into my office or I might win my, I might win the life saving award right now. And uh, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna let Joe. I'll be honest with you. I, I might win the life saving award right now. Uh, no, uh, it doesn't matter if it's everything should stop and be like somebody comes to you and says you got a minute to talk. That means you need about an hour minimum, and yeah. you need to and you need to say come in here and shut the door. Absolutely. Doug, I got a question. I got two questions for you. I got one as a father and one as a supervisor. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm intrigued on how, as a father, we're, okay, as an officer working in homicide, mm-hmm. seeing the worst of the worst of the worst in people, how do you raise daughters, especially in this world, knowing what's out there, but also, you know, raising them to see the positive side in things. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a good question because you know both of my kids grew up in the back of a police car. I literally had car seats in the back of my car because I was on call all twenty four seven. So they they've they you guys hear the police radio? They'll be like, "Oh, that's such and such." That's my kids. They knew voices on the radio of who it was. So they grew up in this environment. Um, I know, you know, how did I, how do I raise them? Uh, you know, I just, I don't, I don't think I, like I said, I'm not the world's greatest dad. I made a lot of mistakes, but, but the one thing is, is I just kind of stay grounded, right? I just try to stay here with them and just, I, I try not to make my life. I try to stay here with them and, and, and not up and down, up and down. It's got to, it's got to stay calm because I am the storm. That's what's going on back here. Uh, the one positive that I do find of it is they see a lot of people from the blue team, and they're like – they literally consider them. I know they have their their Uncle Darren, but they, they got a lot of uncles, right? And that that's how they call them. And they have those guys' phone number. They know they can call any of those people at any time and say, hey – and it's it, that's the bigger thing is I feel like they see the umbrella of how big their family is when it's really just their dad and their uncle, right? But they they got a lot bigger family than that that cares about them, goes to their softball games, have have tra- tracked my oldest daughter all the way through college, and they still talk. She I know she still talks to a few of them to this day. Um, so raising them is way more important than this job. And I always tell people, I don't, 
I'm not like I'm giving parenting classes. For heaven forbid, I wouldn't wouldn't ever think of <laughs> trying to do that. You'd have to pay people to take it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But but I always tell I tell young people who work for me now because I'm getting to the end of my career, you guys. Um, when this is all said and done, if you didn't take care of that, what's going to be there when this job isn't here for you anymore? If you didn't take care of your business with your family and you don't have that to go to whenever your job's over, what do you have? Because I'll be honest with you, I watch the guys that are retiring and the guys that have retired before me, and you hear about them for about six, seven, eight months. And then they're gone. Then they're gone. And the job just keeps going. This, This train keeps rolling down the track with or without you. And don't get me wrong, I'm gonna give it. I give it 100 every day. I I get up every morning, and I want to go to work. And I'll stay for a long time, and I'm gonna keep working. But when that day comes, if you haven't built a relationship with your spouse or your kids, and now you're, you're the one thing that was always a steady is gone, you'll have nothing. So I will tell you. Uh, I don't know for anybody that's listening or. <laughs> Anybody that uh, watches this, this is a, I was taught this, and this is one thing that I think really set the tone with my kids. Every kid wants a damn cell phone. I was opposed to it. My kids were probably the last kids that ever got cell phones. But I put a rule on that when they got it. In the morning, you will call me when you get to school or you will call me when you're at the bus stop every day and you will call me if I'm not home when you get home period that still happens (laughs) right I've already been on the phone with my youngest today now my oldest daughter's got a job she's working she doesn't have to call her dad um she doesn't have to call her dad uh but my one that's in college, every day, every single day like clockwork. And I answer it. I don't give a damn what I'm doing. I'm like, can you hold on a second? This is my kid. 30 seconds. That's it. So you give your kid a cell phone, rule number one, you will call dad every morning. And what's it become? Routine. That's what I do every day. I call my dad every morning. And that is, you know, that started when they were in grade school and one's grown and one's in college and still calling me. But the other one that was in college, the, the older one, she she was calling me when she was in college too because she'd be going to practice um, at 5, 6 o'clock in the morning. Well, who the hell else is up at that time? <laughs> yeah. Her dad. <laughs> you know, she's like, well, I'm walking across. You know, So, but you can't. If you miss that moment, you'll never get it back. You know, time doesn't stop. And I always tell parents, uh, I used to argue, actually, um, a lot with my my ex at the time, or now, but uh, I always want to drive my kids to practice. Why do you want to drive your kids to practice? They can't get away from you, for starters. They're stuck <laughs> in the car, right? But you get an opportunity to have great conversation 
because kids will look out the windshield and talk to you all day, sit them down in the room and then you're, they're done. So when my, my, when my girls were playing softball, I always took them to practice because I always had them in the car at least to and from practice. And I got to spend tons of time finding out what they were doing, who they're hanging out, all these things. So it was great time spent. I love their sport, and they're both really good at it. But the time I got to spend in the car was the best parent time I ever had. So if your kids, it doesn't matter if they're playing sports. It doesn't matter if they're playing, um, you know, in the band, if they're in drama or what, what, whatever, whatever activity they're in. Snatch them up and say, hey, I'll, I'll take you. It's, uh, it's time they can't get away from you. And it's things you'll learn about them that you're like, oh, really? Okay. So that's really where the foundation of my relationship with my kids came. It wasn't about coaching their team or this and that. It was about time spent in the car going to and from practice. And I've talked so long I forgot the second half of your question. <laughs> no, so it, it's, I haven't asked it yet. Oh, <laughs> see, that's called old age too. <laughs> so with, with your kids being your kids and, and at home, Doug, let's talk about at work, Doug. With your young officers that look up to you, that like you said, you're not in charge of, but you're responsible for. Mm-hmm. When you had an officer that was shot in the head with a one percent chance to live, you're responsible for him. Devastating. What is? Uh, it, walk us through that as a, as, <sighs> as a supervisor, but also as someone that gives a good goddamn. Yeah. Uh, so. I'll never forget it. I was with my brother. We were actually working on the front gate. <laughs> I was in a, I was, we were working on our front gate. I have a gate at my property. The phone just blew up. It was like, boom, 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 boom. And they're like, I'm like, oh my God. So I'm, my, my house is over a quarter of a mile, which doesn't seem that far unless you're in a pair of rubber boots and you got to run. I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, I couldn't run fast enough that day to get to my car to get dressed to to make it down to the hospital. And the whole time you're like, okay, hang in there. It can't be this, you know. I'll never forget getting to the hospital and, um, you know, the the big boss is there. And and, and I know him. And you can see the look on his face. And, you know, he's a a good guy. And he's like, we're going to be all right. And I'm like, no, I don't I'm 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 a mess, kind of like I am talking about it because I'm reliving it, which I don't mind reliving because it 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 we just had another one and I hope that commander kind of threw it a little bit I guess, um, but what you have to turn around is it's the same thing that homicide helped me do is set your emotions right here for a second, all eyes are on you, what are you gonna do? Because you got 171 kids that work for you, and they're watching your what you're doing, what you're saying, and how you're acting. you got to be a leader right now. You know, there's only so many times in life that you're going to have big instances where you got to step up and lead. And when I was there, I had to go, this young man, we have his family here, the doctors have him. I turned my attention immediately to the people who work for me and like, all right, y'all go sit in there, y'all get in here. <laughs> you know, you're high, we take over, you guys have seen it, we take over the hospital, right? It's a mess. So you got to direct traffic, and then you got to start working on emotions, feelings, letting people vent, getting the proper mental health there for your employees and all those things. And then I will tell you, um, after I got all that stuff done that day, uh, 
man, I went out of the parking lot and just got my, I used to do, get, got my car and it broke down. I'm like, get, all right, whew, get all that out and get yourself back together because you got to go back in there and do this again. And we did. Um, and that's how I dealt with my emotions that day, um, dealing with all those kids. And, and, and you can't say things like it's going to be all right because you don't know if it's going to be all right. And they don't, don't want to hear it. Yeah. They you don't know if it's going to be all right. But what you got to say is, hey, we did our job. We did it right. These things happen. You know, I'm not a – not. we talk about experiences. But the main thing that I do at my age now is stay calm. Stay calm. Because if, if the bosses are – you know, like I always tell them, if, if you see me uh, excited, if you see me out of control – then you all should have been there a long time ago. Because uh, <laughs> at my level, if they're, if they're that way, it's, it, shit has hit the fan. If you see me yeah. run and run. Yeah, <laughs> right? Run fast. If you're waiting for that, if you see me out of control, it's really bad. So I, I, that, down there, that day I was like, take a deep breath. you got to stay calm and you got to keep the – because as soon as I – you know, as you're the leader, as the manager of a team, as a sports team, I, I look back on my life and I learned a lot of things from sports. Um when our when our coach is out of control, the team's out of control. Mm-hmm. When the supervisor, the boss is out of control, everybody's out of control. When the boss is calm, has direction, sets the tone, everybody just kind of takes that tone. And and I tell you, all those years in homicide and all that stuff, and having to manage scenes and manage families and manage your employees and all those things brings you to that thing where sometimes people are wondering if you're just you care you ever heard that do you even care I'm like i care more than anybody in this world the thing is is i got to keep it right here because if i start showing my emotions everybody else's emotions are going to get out of control and then you have we've seen it people just lash out sometimes and be upset we see people like you said cry but people get angry i you know when i was younger i used to get pretty angry mm-hmm. um but then then Kids change you. They make you have these things called feelings. <laughs> um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they make you have feelings. And then when you have that, and then you, you show that. And, and that day, my number one job was to keep everyone here. And, you know, things turned out okay. Uh, I don't ever want to relive it. Uh, we just discussed it. Uh, that young man told his story yesterday. I've heard it about 10 times, and every time he tells it, I, I mean, I literally have to sit there and try not to cry. Like, ugh, how, how you have a 1% chance to live, and you and he can't wait to get back out on the street. And I'm like, I would beg to have 100 of him, right? That's how much he wants to do this job in a time where it's hard to do this job. Um, and like I said, I, I could retire tomorrow. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because uh, I feel like I feel like we got a lot we got a lot left to give. And and let's remember this: uh, anybody anybody needs to remember this. It's in this line of work or your guys' line of work. More people out there love you than do not. There's more people out there that want you than don't. You just sometimes always get the bad. You always get the right, 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 right. You only 
you only no, hear that. Yeah, squeaky wheel gets the grease. You don't hear the people all the time. Yeah. You know, post, I got to tell, this is how fast things change. Uh, that day changed like that. The day Shayla died changed like that. This past year, on Thursday, I remember we had an entire station full of food because we're working because there's COVID, and thank you guys for staying open. And on Sunday, they were protesting my station. And four days went from having meals and things being brought in because we're working at COVID, and by Sunday, they're out there protesting. You're like, what happened? Y'all got any more food? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. you know, and it changed that fast. It changed that yeah. fast in the past year. And, you know, if if people could just see the inside of what we what we all do every day, everybody came on this job because they wanted to help people. It's the number one line. You always, what you come on the job? I want to help people. Twenty five years later, what do you really want to do? I want to help people, but now I want to help my my folks that work for me. Um, and I, and I want to help the public too. And I do, but it, it's, uh, I think the real reason we all still come on this job and have to remind ourselves sometimes is you came here because you want to help people and you want to be a public service person. Um, even though you've ran the same guy 127 times because he can't get out of bed. You're like, it's number 128. Yes. But. The call right after that is the one that's going to be someone's worst day of their life, and you're going to be the hero on their worst day of their life, and you're going to make it right, and that's what we all signed up to do. So, yeah, I don't know that. Like I said, I get to talking. I can talk. You know, I sit in interrogation rooms for so many years. Uh Podcast an hour long is probably not long enough for me because my, you know, my training detective always said you can't ask a single question about the crime until you've talked to him for an hour. Like what? So, like, oh, you, you're I'm sorry, I'm ready to spill you my life story. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're right. I did it. I'll yeah. the bodies there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever you want to know. You're so cool. So we would spend an hour doing this right here. In an interrogation room, spend an hour just talking before you ever got to talking about whatever crime you're in there to talk about. So I get a little long-winded at times, um, just because that's how you know you. What do you fall back on? What do you guys fall? What what you're trained to do? Yeah. And uh, sometimes that also gets people on the blue team in trouble because we just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. <laughs> <laughs> we should probably shut up. Uh, so I was waiting for the nap joke because I'm kind of tired. <laughs> yeah, well, I've been I've been on such good behavior with you guys. <laughs> you have no idea, uh, you know. And it's but I will say, we do the same thing. But I will say this, you know, I respect the hell out of what you guys do, and I feel like I'm one of the few people probably on the blue team because I well, first of all, I don't care, but I walk into any station, and usually I know somebody or recognize somebody like, "What's up, man?" So it's nothing for me if I'm hungry to stop it. I know you guys got food all the time. I stop it. <laughs> I stop at just about any fire station yep. in the city, and usually I know somebody either haven't run a call with them from years ago, or or just because of the relationship with me and my brother. And but you know, it's always me against the red team. I don't, I don't need any help. <laughs> One against the world. That's what's cool about this job, though. Is like we will sit and just rib each other all day, right? And so from the public's like, 
you suck. We're like, hey, listen, listen. We tell them they suck. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> yeah, you know, I say that all the time. It's I call it big brother, little brother syndrome. I can, I can do that with my little brother, but nobody yeah. else, nobody else can, right? And yeah. that's a big brother, little brother syndrome. And uh, we're the big brother. Just clarified. Yeah, got it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No, it's the uh, I I I do appreciate that though. It's I I. You know, there's a lot of guys on the red team I enjoy uh, hanging out with and and been around my whole life, right? And uh, I, I I think it's great to be able to because when you show up, you got to trust. I tell people all the time when you know it's a real bad day whenever you see the red team coming to help you. That means we've had a really bad day. It's usually the blue team coming to help the red team, but if the red team's coming to help you, you've had a really bad day. And uh, don't forget, that's the day you really need them. So uh, I always, I always tell my folks that too. You don't. There's not really that rift besides me and my brother, and you know, I. There's a lot of things. I'm like, why do you guys save? I, I pay a lot of insurance. <laughs> I've paid a lot of insurance over the years, <laughs> right? He's like, yeah, but you might have some property. Like, no. Get some new stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Just let it go. Let it go, See, man. It's, it's the pictures and the heirlooms that we go in after. Oh, I've heard. That's, yeah, I've, I've heard all about it. I got, got to save that stuff. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, It's a lot of fun, I'll be honest. Has, have you ever done anything like that with, with Darren? What? Fire stuff. I was actually on the fire department. Uh, Not with us. Nah. You, you said no. Yes, I, I said no. Uh, but, yeah, I was in the... I was on the uh, same. I, I was the same route he was. Oh, okay. Early on, I got you. So yeah, I've I've worn bunker pants, and yes, I've sprayed water, and it's kind of tough though. As I've gotten older, I ain't I don't I'm afraid of heights, so I kind of have to be the driver, so I can just run the pump. I'm that'd be the last <laughs> job I'm doing, right? I don't, I'm not going yep. up in any ladders. I'm not climbing ladders. Guy my size falls off. I mean, stuff's gonna break. We bounce, just so you know. I'm gonna tell you, this guy be crumbled. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. But no, I, you know, and in, in perfect example, one day a phone call could have changed my whole life if I would have decided to go to the red team. Mm-hmm. Uh, could have changed everything, right? But I mean, whole different route in life. But uh, there's an example of a day of making a decision and changed everything. But yeah, I. I don't know. It's 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 a thing. What you guys do is is hard, and I and I it's easy to make fun of, but it's hard. Uh, I mean, you work like two days a month or four, um, but eight eight, eight. oh yeah, eight Sorry. days a month. I've worked eight days in the last two weeks. I worked eight days in the last nine days. <laughs> oh, here's the li- oh my yeah. god. <laughs> Yep. When I was on call on homicide and you were on call for 28 days, you pretty much worked for 28 days. You're like, God, I can't wait till I get off call. <laughs> yeah. So, but what I'm, what I was going to is the same thing. You know, whether you're, whether you're in your guys' line of work or my line of work or you're working in a hospital or you, you, any, anything that you're dealing with the public and, 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 and trauma and, and all those things, it's, uh, we just got to remember to, to look around and, and I, and I enjoyed it here to, to laugh and look at the lighter side of life and remember you are a hero in someone's eyes. You are the person that saved the day. Um, you are the person who, who people want to become. 
there are still people that want to be a fireman. There are still people that want to be a policeman. There are still people that want to be a, a nurse and a doctor and all those things. No matter what the world's out here is saying, we still have people coming into this line of work because it's honorable. It is. And, I mean, I talked to you guys earlier. I talked to you guys earlier, but a lot of years ago, we had a tragic event that changed the world, and that all of a sudden everybody wanted to do our job, right? Mm-hmm. And and some of them, when those things happen, everybody wants to do it. Everybody's at it for Halloween. But when they get there, they go, oh, I didn't know it was like this. And that's what we're talking about today is if somebody reaches out to you, talk to them. Take the time to talk to them. Absolutely. I don't think I could have said it any better. Yeah. Thanks for coming, Doug. I mean, great, great stuff. Thanks. So we yeah, appreciate, appreciate it. it. Anybody has any questions or whatever? I'm not hard to find. I'm not hard to get a hold of. And if anybody out there needs to just sit down on my porch and talk, get a hold of me, get a hold of my brother, we'll listen. All right. I think our doors are always open, too, at every station. Yeah. Blue or red, doesn't matter. Hot cup of coffee is always ready, and we got food. Yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) Might not be healthy food, but we got food. That's right. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for stopping by. Take care of yourself.